You're listening to Sermon Audio from First Baptist Church of Van Walsteen. For more information about First Baptist Church and our services, please visit www.fbcva.com. Well, good morning. Good to see you today. Uh, Hope that you're enjoying the rain and mowing your yard all summer long. All right. Um, I am not going to complain. I love green grass at this time of year. Um, But uh, good to see you today. I hope that you will pray for our Mission Wyoming team. Uh, In fact, Chase is probably preaching right now, and so uh, pray for that. Uh, They will finish up church this morning with Outfitter up there in Bar None, Wyoming. Uh, They'll take some pictures. They'll have some tearful goodbyes and then head out for Denver to fly home and uh, hopefully uh, get back here in good old Van Alstine, Texas, somewhere around 1230 or 1 o'clock in the morning. Uh, to sleep real fast and get right back up and do vacation Bible school tomorrow morning. So uh, pray for the Mission Wyoming team. And uh, they've had a great week there. It's uh, been the largest sports camp that they've ever had um, at uh, Outfitter. So continue to pray for them. Pray for that church family and for Tyler Martin and his wife Ashley and the rest of their team up there. It's so amazing to see all that God is doing through Outfitter Church. Um, Also pray for VBS. You were already challenged to do that. I want to say how much I appreciate all of the many, many hours of hard work that have already gone into preparation for this coming week. Uh, All this stuff doesn't just happen, and so uh, I appreciate uh, uh, all the hard work. I was looking at some of these games, and it was bringing back some memories, uh, some pleasant memories, um, maybe some not-so-pleasant memories because a couple of these games induced rage in me when I lost. Um, That... There's some older games up here. There's some antique games up here. Like, go to the head of the class. That's from like the 1950s, Kelly. That's from like your childhood, right? Like, um, I, that's, this is awesome. I love the theme. Uh, I love the excitement that Vacation Bible School brings. One of the reasons I love uh, this week is because there's, there's probably not another time on the church calendar that you see so many of God's people working together. Um, I love that. Um, everybody doing their part. Everybody, um, everybody playing a part. Even if you can't be here all week, maybe you're bringing snacks. Certainly you're praying. Uh, just so many people serving. In fact, we're going to convert this room real quickly at the close of the service into a little dining room like we often do uh, because we have a VBS workers meeting uh, along with lunch. And so one of the things that you could help do Uh, For many of you, especially if you have younger kids, you could just kind of move out of the way, okay? That's really what we need you to do, grab hold of your kids. But the rest of you, if you want to stack up some chairs, you can go ahead and stack some of those up. And we've got some folks who will move in and give you some direction on how to set up the tables uh, and all of that good stuff. But uh, that will happen right after this morning's service. We're going to turn in our Bibles this morning to Psalm 107. While you're turning there, let me remind you uh, that you've got a real treat coming up over the next three weeks. I'm not going to be preaching. And so uh, you'll get to hear some great preaching from Jace. And then Dr. Kyle Esri will be with us on the 30th. Uh, There will also be a missions update on that day during the community group hour. Uh, And then, uh, Lord willing, Chris Burge, our ministry resident, will be preaching on uh, August the 6th. And so I'm looking forward to... A little time, uh, some of the time away. I'll still be around, uh, and it allows me when I'm not teaching to do some other things that sometimes get puts, uh, sometimes gets put on the back burner, some administrative things and, and that kind of thing. And then uh, in August, I'm planning to try to go see my sister. So 
Uh, you can look forward to that over the next few weeks as we wrap up our study of the Psalms. But this morning we're continuing. Uh, we've been in the last two weeks in Psalm 105 and 106, both historical Psalms, a pair of historical Psalms. This morning, moving into uh, to chapter 107. This is the first Psalm in book five of the Psalms. And, and despite that designation or that marker in the broader book of, of Psalms, or what is sometimes called the Psalter, Psalm 107 is tied, I believe, to Psalms 105 and 106. And those three Psalms provide historical reflections uh, on God's work on behalf of Israel. They're historical Psalms. And so you'll notice that the opening line of Psalm 107 even begins with the same call to worship that we found last week in Psalm 106, where it says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Um, however, there are some differences in this trilogy of Psalms. Psalm 106 appears to include a prayer for deliverance from exile. Here in 107, seems to be a, a post-exile hymn of praise to God for answering the prayer of Psalm 106. And so we're going to unpack that a little bit today. You know, with modern technology and the development of social media platforms, uh, uh, for whatever that's worth, it has become really easy for us to document special occasions and events, and even the most mundane of events. Um, I never dreamed years and years ago that anybody would care to see a picture of what I'm eating for lunch, right? Like, but that suddenly became a thing a few years ago. And, you know, it's like when the dog does something really cute, you can take a picture and post it for the whole world to see. And uh, when you are eating a huge plate of Hutchins barbecue, you can take a picture of that and make all your friends jealous that you're eating at Hutchins, right? Uh, it's just really easy for us to do. And then uh, for the next several years, Facebook especially has this special memories feature. And so those special moments will pop up in your feed and you'll be reminded of what you were doing a year ago or two years ago or, or 10 years ago even. And it's, it's amazing now that this whole thing has developed. Well, uh, psalm 107 is, again, another lengthy historical psalm that calls us to thanksgiving and praise as we look at four pictures of redemption, four snapshots of redemption. Uh, it's almost like, look what popped up in our memories today uh, as, we, as we go back and reflect upon God's faithfulness uh, over time. And so I'm going to ask you to do once again this morning what we have done each week in our study of Psalms. We're going to stand together and read aloud the text. We're not going to read the entirety of Psalm 107. We're actually going to read the first three verses and then skip down to verses 33 through 43. But I would ask you to join with me as we read this together aloud. It says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. And then we'll skip down to verse 33. He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. He turns a desert into pools of water a parched land into springs of water. And there he lets the hungry dwell, and they establish the city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By his blessing they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. 
When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless wastes. But he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad, and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. And that is what we're going to do once again today. We are together going to consider the steadfast has said love of the Lord. I think it's important for us at the beginning of this morning's message to make sure we're clear on what redemption is. It's a word that you hear in church settings pretty often. Um, the redeemed, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, we're told here. What is redemption? You remember when stores offered layaway plans? How many of you are old enough to remember that layaway? All right. Uh, I guess there's a small handful of stores that still do that. But for those of you who don't know what layaway is, it's a program uh, which allows you to go to the store, pick out some items, uh, make a down payment on those items or that item, and then have the store lay that away for you, holding it until you can finish paying for it. Uh, and the, the real benefit of this would be to buy something when, when it was on sale. Uh, maybe if you couldn't afford to pay the full price for that item or whatever, you'd put it on layaway. And then you could go back to the layaway desk and you could make payments on those items that you had on layaway until you finally paid it off and it became yours. I can remember in our seminary days, there was a Kmart in town. Some of you remember Kmart. Uh, they had a layaway plan. I wanted a boombox. I couldn't afford the boombox, but it was on sale, so I put it on layaway, and over several weeks, I paid off the boombox, and I went and redeemed it. Uh, that's kind of a picture of redemption, making payment to make something that you have set aside, something you have chosen to be yours. And in the ancient world, slaves and debtors could be redeemed by a payment of what was called a ransom price. Someone held in bondage could, for example, be set free if the full payment was made in certain situations. If you were enslaved or in deep debt in need of redemption, then the person most likely to redeem you uh, would many times be a close relative, someone who loved you, identified with you. And when, when you were redeemed by a, a close relative, uh, this person was often called the kinsman redeemer. You see that language in the story of Ruth, for example. Uh, and so uh, understand what redemption is. The first real sermon that I ever preached in a church setting was from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. And the title of the message was The Cost of Redemption. In those two verses in 1 Peter chapter 1 there, it says, For as much as you know you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, from your vain conversation, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. That's talking about our redemption, the price that was paid for our redemption. And so here in Psalm 107, what we find is really a call to the redeemed. This is a call to the redeemed, to give thanks to the Lord, calling the redeemed to give thanks and sing God's praises. And so it gives us these four pictures of redemption. There are wanderers in the desert led by a straight path to a city to dwell in. 
You'll see here prisoners in shackles or irons being set free from the shadow of death. You'll see terminally ill people being healed and restored to life. You'll see storm-tossed sailors lost at sea being rescued and led to a safe haven. So in the original context of Psalm 107, I think it's important for us to keep that in mind as we study particularly an Old Testament text, These four pictures are images of the redemption that the Lord brought for his people when he restored them to the promised land after 70 years of exile. The people of God today, these are four powerful pictures of salvation. And as we go through these four pictures, I think we'll see how Jesus fulfills the redemption pictured in these four scenes, as it were. It also encourages us to think about how we often sing these stories. We've already done that today. We we use language and terminology that would point to the beauty of the gospel itself. Think of the words that John Newton penned so many years ago in the familiar song Amazing Grace. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. It does help us better understand the beauty of the gospel. You can't fully appreciate the the beauty and the magnificence of the gospel and the good news of the gospel until you fully and completely understand the bad news from what it is that we are redeemed. And so, again, this psalm begins with this call to worship. These first three verses, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble, gathered from the lands, from the east and from the west and from the north, from the south. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Nowhere in Scripture will you find any indication of incognito Christians. Nowhere will you find that we're called to keep our faith in Jesus Christ under wraps, to keep it somehow private. You know, some people will say, uh, you know, you'll engage in a conversation, and it's almost like they're in, you know, in a certain context, whether it's a workplace or whatever. Well, there's a couple things, you know, we don't talk about, and that's politics and religion. I I understand sensitivity in certain contexts, but, but the truth is, we're never told to keep quiet about our faith in Jesus Christ about the fact that we are redeemed people who've been bought back and set free from the slave market of sin. And that's just one of the pictures that we'll see here in Psalm 107. Now again, this psalm begins what we would call book five of the Psalms. Most of your Bibles have that kind of designation there in the heading. And and here's the reason that's kind of significant, because book four is largely the songbook of exile. While book five is largely the songbook of the return to the promised land. So, so much like us, uh, th- there are certain songs, there's certain music uh, that, that just kind of characterizes or, or helps us better remember certain periods and phases of our lives. Those of you who are, are married, for example, maybe you and your spouse have a special song. Maybe it was popular on the radio at the time that you fell in love, and so it just meant a lot to you. It's the song that, that you would play you know, when you were um, you know, parking. Uh, I, I'm not going to even try to describe what that's all about, but, but it, it, 
you know, we, we were not allowed to do that. I went to a very conservative Bible college, okay? And so if I ever even had my girlfriend in the car with me alone, I would probably get kicked out of school. So I never did that kind of stuff, but I know some of you did. So, <laughs> right? So you know, there's just certain songs, there's certain music that, that just, and whenever you now hear that song all these years later, you're like, you're taken back to that time, right? You're, you're taken back to that, that, that phase of your life, and it just, it means a lot to you. I think that's why we kind of settle into a comfort zone as it relates to styles of music and that kind of thing, because it just, it's, it, there's a familiarity there and a kind of a safe place in that sex. And so, uh, to, to see this, you, you look at how Psalm 106 ends and then Psalm 107 begins. Psalm 106 ends with a cry for salvation. Save us, O Lord our God. Gather us from among the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. But then Psalm 107 begins with a call to those who have been saved, gathered in answer to the closing plea of Psalm 106. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so whom he has redeemed from trouble, gathered in from the lands, from the east and the west and from the north and from the south. So think about this. Certain psalms uh, would, would have been sung even corporately in certain contexts. That's why we have what we call psalms of ascent. Because these are songs that worshipers would have literally sung as they were making their way literally up to, walking uphill, as it were, to the place of worship. They were ascending to uh, what is described as the hill of the Lord, as ascending to the place of worship. And so you can just imagine uh, these, these saints of the Lord going and singing uh, these songs. And so here we find these uh, songs of exile. And you can just imagine that some of those would, be, uh, would, would have more of a, a tone of lamentation to them. It would be a difficult time. Uh, you go back to, to and study the history of music, and you'll see that. There's, there are just certain periods where the music kind of takes a darker tone. Um, it, you know, it's kind of a muted tone, or you'll hear certain songs in a minor key and everything. There's a reason for that. And, and so here now, we, as we move into Psalm 107, uh, we're getting to see this picture of now this now post-exile hymn, as it were, of people being redeemed and ransomed. Uh, what a beautiful picture that is. And so uh, if, you, if you understand ransom and redeemed, they basically mean the same thing. Ransom focuses on the price uh, that is paid, while, while redeemed focuses on the action of being bought back and set free. We have those who have been gathered from the West, we might say, from the perspective of Psalm 107. We've been gathered by the Lord into his kingdom from the faraway land across the Western Ocean, beyond the end of the world. And so we, who have been redeemed, should give thanks to the Lord. When Psalm 107 opens, they'll give thanks to the Lord. It's using a strong call for emphatic and enthusiastic thanksgiving. We are the redeemed of the Lord, and we must say so. Have you ever been so excited about something that you just almost couldn't contain yourself? You know what I'm talking about? Like, I mean, some significant event happens in your family. Maybe you land a new job that you'd been really, you know, working toward. Or uh, maybe you have a new addition into your family and to your home. It's just, it's an amazing thing. And so you're just so excited that, you know, whenever you see another a close friend or something like that, you just want to talk about it. You want to share it. That's what our faith should be like. That's what our faith should be like. We should be so excited about what God has done in our lives, what he is doing in our lives, that we just want to talk about it. We want to share the goodness of God with others. And so let's look now at these four pictures 
of redemption. The Lord is gracious, and he knows that we need uh, help many times to praise and thank him as we should. You know, we tend to forget, as we've seen over the last couple of weeks. Uh, We need reminders. We tend to be lacking a, a scope for the imagination when it comes to understanding and expressing the greatness of our redemption. And so God gives us here these four vivid pictures of redemption to feed our imaginations, to fuel our thanksgiving. Now, in the ESV, uh, it begins with each of these sections, you might say, of these four pictures begins with the word some, and, and each ends with a call. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. And in the middle, the the turning point in each of these stories or in each of these pictures, it's basically the same. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. Now, both the ESV and the NIV begin with each of these four sections with the word some, which is, it's a nice way of identifying the start of each section. But the problem is, that, that word's really not found in the original Hebrew. And, and if you have a, a New American Standard, and for whatever that's worth, I think it's probably the closest to the original languages, you'll see a more accurate reflection of how the Hebrew begins each section. And the only reason I point this out is because one of the side effects of using the word some here with each section can give us the idea that somehow these are four different groups of people. So like group A was wandering in a desert. Group B was imprisoned. Group C was sick unto death. Group D was storm-tossed at sea. But that's probably not the best way to understand the text here. It's not four different groups, but rather four different pictures of redemption. And also, while some people have literally, physically experienced these terrible things... This psalm is probably not meant to be taken as a depiction of literal physical experiences, but but as an image, pictures of what it means to be lost, and then what it means to be redeemed or to be found, as we would say. And so let's look at these four pictures together. If you look at verses 4 through 9, you'll see that we go from a desert to a city home. Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Before being led by the Lord to, to the promised land. But they were led by God every step of the way through the pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night. And understand this, when we are lost, cut off from the life of God, we are wandering, as it were, in a spiritual desert, hungry, thirsty for life and righteousness and salvation, and our souls faint within us. And so when Jesus came to save us, right after he was baptized by John in the Jordan River, he was led by the Spirit into the desert wilderness of Judea, where he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And we know uh, from, from the gospel accounts that he was hungry and thirsty and alone. In fact, in Luke's gospel, chapter 4, it tells us, and Jesus full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. So here he is, our Lord Jesus. He's tempted by Satan. 
he overcame for us and for our salvation, physically entered into our spiritual experience, suffering hunger and thirst and loneliness, being severely tempted so he could overcome the enemy for us, identify more fully with us as our Redeemer. That's why scripture says, he was tempted in all points like as we are and yet without sin. God does three wonderful things for us when we are wandering alone in the desert wilderness, hungry and thirsty, our souls fainting within us. He leads us by a straight way. He satisfies our souls, and he brings us to a city home, a permanent home. And what what is the straight way of salvation? Remember Jesus His words recorded in John chapter 14 said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. What is the satisfaction of our souls? Jesus again said in John chapter 6, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. What is the city to which God leads us to be our home? Hebrews chapter 11 tells us of the faith of Abraham. How he went out by faith through the wilderness and the promised land. It says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. He was looking forward to the city, it says, that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. This is why we sometimes say that we shouldn't be too comfortable in this world because this world is ultimately not our home. This world is not our home. We will never be at home, truly, until we are at home with the Lord. That home is the, in the city of God, with the people of God. It has colonies and outposts here in this world they're found in the church, the local church expressed. We gather and we encourage one another in our faith and we continue to be led by the Lord along the straight way of salvation toward our heavenly home. We represent another kingdom. We represent the king. And so it's a great picture of our salvation. Maybe you're sitting here this morning thinking back on your testimony. You would say, Pastor, I can definitely identify a time in my life where spiritually speaking, it was as if I was wandering in a desert. Spiritually dry and parched. I was hungry and I was thirsty. And I, I, I would see something off in the distance and think, surely that will satisfy my hunger. Certainly that will quench my thirst. And, and every time you would try one of those things, you would discover it was just a mirage. It ultimately didn't satisfy. It ultimately didn't quench your thirst. This is an amazing picture of what Jesus does for us in our redemption. It's a picture of redemption. And if we continue in the text here, you'll notice we go from a dark prison to freedom. When Jesus returned from the desert wilderness, he came to the synagogue in Nazareth, his hometown, on the Sabbath day. And I love this. He read from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. It says in Luke chapter 4, it records it for us. It says, And he came to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. 
he unrolled the scroll and he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then Luke tells us, and he, and, he, and he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, I love this line, today, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. You see, sin enslaves us. In John chapter 8, Jesus says, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. But then he says, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So when we are lost, not only are we wandering aimlessly, hungry, thirsty, but we are also imprisoned by sin, held in bondage, prisoners to a harsh taskmaster who lied to us, trying to convince us that bondage is really freedom, that our slavery to sin is really self-mastery. But to those imprisoned and enchained, God brings us out of prison and breaks the bondage. He brings us out of prison first, out of the place of condemnation. It's one of the most beautiful pictures of redemption in all of Scripture. How we trade in our prison garments of sin for robes of righteousness, for the freedom that we have in Christ that's why I love Romans 8.1, where it says, There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. He breaks the bonds of sin that imprison us. We go from being a prisoner to being free. A dark prison to freedom. There's a third picture here, and I want us to notice it. It's from sickness unto death to healing. After Jesus fasted in the, in the desert wilderness, then announced the beginning of his earthly ministry from Isaiah 61, what did he then go about doing? Well, again, if we go back to Luke's gospel in chapter 4 there, it says, He arose and left the synagogue, entered Simon's house, where Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever. And they appealed to him on her behalf, Scripture says. And, and he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. And then verse 40 in Luke chapter 4 there says, Now when the sun was setting, all those who had, uh, had any were, who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. You see, being lost in sin is not just the condition of being in a desert wilderness, wandering aimlessly, hungry and thirsty, lost and alone. It's not just the condition of being in bondage, in prison. It's also the, the mortally ill, sick unto death. Sin is a fatal illness that kills us spiritually, will rob us of all life forever. And yet Jesus is the great physician who heals our sin-sick souls, and one day he will raise us from the dead, forever healed, wondrously whole, in his image, perfected forever. You think about the beauty of that picture. You think about the beauty of that picture of redemption. When someone is lost, they've not yet turned from their sin to faith in Jesus Christ, they are inflicted with this spiritual disease. 
this, this, this spiritual sickness. It's what drives even their thinking in, in so many aspects of their lives, just driven by fleshly appetites and desires and things that lead ultimately to destruction. But to be made whole, to be cleansed, made well. It's a picture of redemption here. And then finally, you see this picture of being from, taken from a storm-tossed sea to a haven of rest. As Jesus went about the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, healing the sick, he also calmed the storms on the Sea of Galilee, rescued his disciples, whose business was on the sea as professional fishermen from the terror of the storm. We find it in Mark's gospel, chapter 4. It says, on that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And, and, and other boats were with him. And a great, a great windstorm arose. And the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? So for professional fishermen to think that they were about to die, this is a serious storm. This is a serious storm. He awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. The wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this? That even the wind and the sea obey him. You see, sin leaves us storm-tossed at times, doesn't it? When I uh, pastored in South Texas, uh, down in the coastal plains area, uh, every year our association of churches would do a, a fishing charter trip. We'd go out into the Gulf, uh, go deep sea fishing there. And there was one pastor in particular that tried to make the trip every year, thinking that this year would be better than the last. And it just never was. He tried everything. He tried the wristbands. He tried the Dramamine. He tried the stuff behind you. Every time, poor brother Toby would be chumming, if you know what I mean. And I'd say, Toby, why do you keep putting yourself through this? I mean, when the, when the waves would pick up just a little bit, that boat would start rocking. I mean, you'd look over, and he would just look green. I, he looked so sick. And it's kind of humorous to think back. And I've run into Toby a couple times since then at conventions and things. And I said, Toby, did you, did you ever get it figured out? You know, Some of you, you think back over your life. You're like, you know what? That's what my life was like before I came to faith in Christ. It was turbulent. It was rocking and rolling all the time. Quite literally. So much turbulence. When I think of turbulence, I, I don't think so much of a boat. I think of a plane. Right? Several years ago, Christy and I had the opportunity to go to Israel on one of our flights. It was especially turbulent to the point that one of the drink and beverage carts got knocked over in the aisle. I mean, it's just kind of unnerving to hear that thing crash. And I mean, the, you know, the plane's rocking and you're feeling your stomach dropping and just coming. You know, it's just like, can we just get to some calmer, Scott? Like, j- just calm this down, right? What an what amazing picture that is of life before Christ. You're going along, life's just so turbulent. You're turning from one thing to the next, trying to, trying to find satisfaction and hope and this and that. It's just so much turbulence. Pictures of redemption. 
But as we continue through the text here, I want us to notice real quickly as we wrap it up, the power of our Redeemer. Because after giving these four pictures of redemption, Psalm 107 closes with a section that praises God for his sovereign power to bring about these great reversals in both judgment and redemption. We, we read it together a moment ago. Sam, what we see there is the God who has the power to rescue and redeem his people who cry out to him from their desperate condition is the same God who has the power to bring down to judgment the arrogant and the wicked who deny him and continue in their stubborn rebellion against him. God is a God of love and mercy and grace. But he's also holy and he's just. So what are we to do? Well, we're to listen, we're to consider, and give thanks. You see, the great power of God to both save and to judge, to exalt and to bring low, to bring refreshment and salvation, but also to bring contempt and humiliation brings about the unexpected but vitally important close of Psalm 107 where it says, whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. In other words, you better pay attention. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. And here's the closing application today. It's as simple as it is powerful. It is as straightforward as it is vital. For everyone sitting in the room today, Regardless of the things that we share in common, regardless of our differences, you have either experienced the redeeming love and power of God this morning, or you have not. Full stop. Either you have personally experienced the redeeming love and power of God through faith in Jesus Christ, or you have not. If you have, then you're called here to give thanks and praise, not, not hesitatingly, not, not reluctantly, not half-heartedly, but joyfully, gratefully, powerfully. If you have not yet experienced his redeeming love because you've never turned from your sin to faith in Jesus Christ, then you need to cry out to him today for his saving power, for his redeeming love. See, the turning point of each of these four stories, these four pictures of redemption, the people cried out to the Lord. So you too must cry out to the Lord while you still can. Cry to him in your hunger and in your thirst as you wander in a spiritual desert. Cry to him in your bondage and distress, enslaved in sin. Cry out to him in your soul sickness. Cry to him in the storms of your confusion, characterized by turbulence. Cry to him and he'll save you. Don't neglect your need for salvation and continue to ignore the only one who can save you. Cry out to him today. You've either experienced the redeeming love and power of God or you have not. So with that, I'm going to ask that you bow your heads with me for just a moment as we take time to reflect upon God's word today.
In these final few moments, I want to be especially clear. When we're talking about the redeemed, we're not just talking about people who attend church regularly or people who have their name on a membership roll. People whose dad was a deacon in the Baptist church for 35 years. Or people who feel pretty good about themselves because they're better than most people. And we're talking about people who have turned from their sin to faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe you can more readily identify with one of these four pictures of redemption this morning. Understand the significance of what God's word is saying today. Either you are in Christ or you are not. And if you can't identify a time in your life when you turned from your sin to faith in Jesus Christ, trusting him completely as Savior and Lord, then I invite you to take that step of faith today. You might be here and say, Pastor, I'm trying. I'm I'm really, I'm trying hard to be a better person. I've turned over a new leaf. I've given up some bad habits and I'm trying to be better. Well, here's the thing. Even on your best day, you can't be good enough. Even on your best day, you can't be good enough on your own. Your only hope is to cry out to the one who was and is good enough, the perfect, spotless Lamb of God who paid the redemption price for you and for me. So again, if you've never taken that step of faith, I invite you to do that today. I would love to share with you from the word of God how you can know today that your sins are forgiven. Heaven will someday be your home, not because of anything you've done or ever could do, but because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. And if you're here today and your testimony is one of faith in Jesus Christ, And let's lift our voices together in praise and thanksgiving to our Redeemer, to our Redeemer. Father, we thank you and praise you today for your love and your mercy and your grace. Lord, I thank you. Thank you that when we were wandering aimlessly in a barren wasteland of sinfulness, You redeemed us. I thank you that when we were enslaved to sin, bound, unable to free ourselves, you gave us freedom. Lord, I thank you. I thank you that when our souls were sick with sin, you offered healing and hope through your perfect life, your death, your resurrection. Lord, I thank you. When our sinful lives were so turbulent, tossed around by the things of this world, you calmed the storm for your love and your mercy and your grace. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Van Alstine. For more information about our church, visit www.fbcva.com.